0: Welcome to A Deeper Dive with Pastors Steve Page and Tim Shaw. Our podcast is a conversational journey through the deeper meaning, implications, and applications of God's Word for today's world. Now it's time to take a deeper dive.
1: Welcome, everyone. My name is Steve Page.
0: And I'm Tim Shaw, and we're here to take a deeper dive into the Gospel of Mark. This is our very first podcast, and we are so glad that you've joined us in this important journey through this fast-paced, deeply challenging, and tremendously inspiring gospel.
1: Now, just in case there are some folks listening who may not know Tim and me, uh, we want to give you a quick summary of who we are before we move into things. Tim, why don't you go 1st
0: be happy to. Tim Shaw, um, one of the associate pastors at First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu, been here in Hawaii about nine years. Originally from California. Uh, this is the first time I've lived outside the state of California, born, raised, reared, educated in California. Uh, but I've been loving the time that I've been here in Hawaii. All
1: right. Yeah. Did you have like a poster of the Beach Boys on your wall? Were you that typical
0: Californian? Uh, I was a I, I was a typical Californian in some ways. You know, <laughs> I, I grew up at the beach actually in Southern California, in SoCal, as they call it, uh. in the OC. Oh, man. Yeah. In Newport (laughs) Beach, that would just, it gets even thicker. You
1: you sound like you're the OG as well. All right. Well, let me um, also give a little background to who I am. I grew up in Jersey and uh, in the Eastern Orthodox faith, and I I was one of those Christor Christians, and then I just became a Christmas Christian. Christor Christian, just in case nobody knows what I'm referring to there, it's it's that kind of Christian that goes to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. That was me until it just got reduced to Christmas. Um, and after a very sm- uh, misspent youth, uh, at the age of 21, I uh, uh, came to Christ and had experienced a radical change in my life and eventually ended up in the ministry when I was 24. And I served in all kinds of capacities from you know, a re- relief worker, missionary, uh, Bible school teacher, assistant pastor, senior pastor. Now I serve for the past seven years as the associate pastor at First Pres. Honolulu. And so, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, given my background, I still find it amazing that I, Steve Page, get to preach the gospel. All right, so that's us. But before we dig our teeth into the themes and actions of the Gospel of Mark, I want to briefly orient us, orient us a bit so we know why and where we're going with all of this. Uh, so first of all, why, why are we even doing this series? Well, there's several reasons. And number one is we want it to be that next step after someone finishes the Alpha series. you know, Alpha is a very good, enriched, topical study of the Christian faith. But we thought that perhaps, well, you know, what do we need to know now in the next step to help folks grow in their faith? And we thought, hey, let's teach a gospel. Let's learn a gospel together in a little more of an in-depth manner. But this series is is not just for beginners. I don't want to give that impression here. We also want to support and advance the understanding of more mature Christians of the essentials of the gospel as well. We want to dive deeper with you um, into things like what is the kingdom of God all about? What is discipleship? What about shalom? Grace, mercy, servanthood, etc. All these essential purposes and values and character of being a Christian. And another big reason uh, that we're doing this uh, podcast and study series is for the transformation of our lives, you know, from finding wisdom and healing for our own personal souls to learning how to be a better transformational agent of God in the world. As I quoted in one of the intro videos to our series, uh, I quoted a Herbert Spencer, who's a famed British philosopher, and he said this, the great aim of education is not knowledge, but action. And um, that's what we want to see come out of this—not just larger brain tissue, but um, lots and lots of godly action. Um, and lastly, we we want to have this in-depth study and conversation um, to reconsider the gospel in light of our current social climate. Now, you know, we should make this clear from the outset that the gospel is not just for our individual spiritual lives to get us into the sweet by and by. It's it's also about us personally getting involved in community and making a social impact um, because of uh, the gospel. And as, as John reminds us in, in John chapter 3, we want to have a social impact because God so loved the world that he gave his son, and he wants the world to experience the various implications of his gospel mission. So we want to delve into how the gospel speaks to our current issues. Um, But let's face it, we're also in a time of tremendous social and ideological polarization. And, you know, at least from my perspective, Tim, you know, I I regretfully see and hear Christians, you know, kind of joining in this polarization. And part of the result of that is what I'm seeing is that we unintentionally create enemies, I think, where God has none. So I'm really hoping that by the end of the series, we're all going to learn how to speak more wisely into our cultural issues and and turmoil. You know, as Alan Jacobs, a a professor of humanities at Baylor University, he said, culture catechizes, you know, so we will be asking along the way, you know, as we study this thing, how can the gospel help counteract the cultural cases that we're experiencing? So Tim, you want to add anything to that or elaborate on anything as to the list of the whys uh, behind doing this?
0: Well, one of the things that I do at First Press is I'm the pastor for International and Local missions. So my ministry has and has for a long time before I came to Hawaii, uh, was, it was walking alongside uh, Christian brothers and sisters around the world. And I've been a part of an organization called the Congo Initiative, which mm. is based in eastern Congo, one of the most troubled places in our world, a wonderful place with amazing people, uh, some of the most mature Christians that I've ever uh, known uh, live there. And I've been a part of an organization, as I said, called the Congo Initiative. And one of the things ministries that uh, that organization has is a university, a Christian bilingual uh, university in the town of Beni in North Kivu, which is um, in, in the eastern part of the country. And the theme at the core of that organization is that they're seeking transformation in order to be agents of transformation in the world. Mm. And I think that phrase captures... What I think we're wanting to talk about: What does this look like in our own lives? It's not just, as Steve said, as you said, you know, you know, uh, acquiring more information, but it's how is our encounter with Scripture, with with the Spirit of God, and as we're in community exploring uh, the claims of the gospel in our lives, how are we being transformed um, from the inside out, in order that we might be agents? Of kingdom transformation wherever God leads us. So uh, the, being a follower of Jesus, being an apprentice to Jesus, uh, being a, a student of the scriptures is so much more than just the acquisition of information, mm, mm. Um, but it's the transformation of our souls. And our, how are we caring for our, our souls so that we might be people who can care for the souls of others, the souls of our communities, the souls of our nation. Um, mm. So I'm excited about exploring uh, how what that transformation looks like and um, how we might be used by God more completely in as an agent of transformation in the world.
1: You know, just last night I was with a group of men, a men's group, and we were talking about spiritual formation and we were talking about how you know uh, all of us are being spiritually formed one way or the other because of cultural catechesis you know Um, now we might be experiencing deformation or going to experience transformation but formation of some sort is happening and so hopefully through this series uh, there's a lot more transformation and i like how you said so that you know we become impactful in, in our larger community well, let me, um, before we sink our teeth into the things uh, with Mark, let me just, just a couple of things real quick about setting up some expectations here. We're going to expand on the themes that we brought up in the videos. We're not necessarily going to rehash all of them, uh, but we're going to expand on them. We're going to use what we covered in the videos as springboards towards deeper discussions on the things we didn't cover in the videos, uh, because there's so many, there's so many things that we'll never get at, you know, in just 10 weeks. So uh, we want to use these, use these podcasts for that. Um, now, we also want to say one more thing that we, um, if possible, you know, we want you to write us any questions that you may be having along the way or your group is having along the way uh, and write us, uh, email us at the church. Now, we can't guarantee we're going to get to all of them, but we're going to do our best to dialogue with you on this podcast. So, okay, Tim, let's now take a deeper dive into Mark and all the different themes and issues that it brings up before us. Um, in the first video, I touched on several big, humongous central themes of the gospel. I spent so much time on just the first verse, and I'm sure uh, there was more uh, cranial constipation going on in there with all the stuff I threw at people. Um, but it was really important stuff, you know, where I talked about the, the meaning of the word gospel, how it's used in a biblical sense, um, and and how it's 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 more than, you know, just like Good news when, like, when you get a raise, you get an A on your paper or something like that. It, it, the ex- expression of good news was a declaration of some major event that would in some way affect uh, our world, whether it be winning a great battle or the ascension of a Caesar, you know, or God delivering people from exile. You know, these things were labeled as good news. So I just want to reiterate that for a second and help how- Maybe as I maybe a, I don't know you can correct me on this maybe a, a dynamic equivalent in today's day and age is not just good news but like headline news. This is big news um, that's affecting our world right now so um, and part part of that gospel I got into was um, the good news of God bringing his kingdom come through the Messiah, through the mission of the Messiah and this in the central a central piece of the mission of the Messiah, at least as I see it, is this whole issue of shalom, and we know that Messiah means the Anointed One, um, and in, in in Greek, the Anointed One is the word Christos or Christ. And I read from Isaiah 61 in the video. I'm going to reiterate this, and then we can kind of riff off of this uh, about shalom because uh, uh, it, it's so powerful. Because this is this is the scriptures Jesus referred to in Luke 4 when he spoke to the people at Nazareth and said, "Hey, this is what I am about." And it says this in in Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. There's that messianic word. The Lord has anointed me to preach good news, gospel to the oppressed. And he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And they, you know, these these brokenhearted and oppressed and mourn-filled people, people in ashes, they will be called oaks of righteousness. I love that picture there, oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his glory. And again, you know, if we were to summarize that in a word, I would use the Hebrew word shalom, that kind of wholeness thing. Tell me your thoughts about that, that either those verses or your thoughts on shalom and this kind of central feature in the messianic mission.
0: Well, I, I, going back to the word gospel, just the it's it's an announcement of something that's happened, and that's fundamental to us as followers of Jesus is that the good news of the gospel is something that has happened, that God has accomplished in Christ for us, and. That is an amazing thing that Mm. Christ has accomplished. Reconciliation with God for us so that we are in a relationship with God when we entrust ourselves to Christ, that the spirit of God moves into our lives and begins to transform us and shape us. Um, So uh, uh, I I like the fact that you put that in that historical context of um, that there were other gospels that were being announced, Mm. um, that there were other saviors that were being uh, put forth to the people, whether that was Caesar or whatever it was. He, uh, with the similarities that you listed uh, in your talk was uh, such a reminder that the gospel is good news, but it's also a confrontation with other mm. powers and sources of, of supposed hope uh, in our world. Uh, so I love the way that it started out um, like that. Uh, But I love the word uh, shalom. It's not just simply the cessation of hostilities, but the seeking to put things right, to have people um, be transformed, uh, healed, um, restored, relationships that are broken, um, brought back together. Um, It's such a powerful, rich word um, that... uh, that I think it's it's an invitation to explore deeper into um, the implications of the gospel in our whole lives, and how we need to be people who are experiencing that shalom mm-hmm. for us. You know, we need to experience that in our own lives, so that we can be agents of shalom in the world. So it's an interesting uh, dance, I would say, between like how am I experiencing God's shalom in my life? How am I experiencing God's healing? God's Transformation, and, and that is really a function of my ability to acknowledge that I actually need God's transformation and mm, healing. Mm. Uh, real change in my life begins when I'm able to acknowledge, yeah, there's some things that are really, uh, I really feel great about, but there's other things in my life that I that need healing and transformation and change. So I have to continue to be a recipient of that shalom mm. and that transformation, so that I can. Be an agent of shalom uh, in, in the world around me.
1: Yeah, maybe we can take a little deeper dive into the weeds of that one, um, because it is a breathtaking mission that I just read there in Isaiah 61, right? I mean, it really speaks of this kind of radical inbreaking of God's intentions into the human condition in order to change it. You know, I mean, there's... Sociopolitical things, there's personal things. You know your ashes, your pain, your hurt, your brokenness. But it talks about oppression and poverty. You know, and 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 uh, um, I, I like when it talks about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, which is you know that year where where land was given back or slaves were freed. You know, this was this was the jubilee years. You know, and all that kind of thing. And so it's a it's a breathtaking thing, and it's exciting to want to talk about and, and, and want to do that. But it first starts with us personally. You know, where are we at in being filled with that kind of kingdom um, life and and value and character and power and purpose, you know, and peace? You know, a, a lot of people know the word Shalom is peace, you know, but it's also wholeness and it's also human flourishing. It's completeness. And, um, you know, we live in a fragmented world because we're a bunch of Fragmented people. So, if I can ask, I don't know if this is going to be too personal or not, but like, you know, how have you seen it in others? How have they grown in it? What, what have you, how's the transformation you've seen, your own transformation, to become this person of
0: peace? Hmm. Well, this passage also makes me think of when it bears in the New Testament. You know, when Jesus quotes this in the synagogue, when he walks in, opens up the scroll, and reads this passage, hmm. uh, that gets him in a lot of trouble. People right. want to push him off the cliff. I've been in Israel at that point and stood on that cliff. That's a big cliff. Oh yeah. And uh, and by Jesus simply stating this, um, I mean claiming that he that this is about him is probably the most the the flashpoint in that um, in that event where they want to take him out of the synagogue and push him off the cliff. But Jesus walks through the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the way I have seen this um, again to go back to my experience in Eastern Congo um, I remember uh, the first time I was in uh, in Benny in this town where this university I was talking about is we met with the I met the uh, mayor of the town of Benny and recently um, the founder of uh, the Congo initiative, the co-founder David Kasali uh, told a story um, about the the ta- rec- in the last few years where he met with the mayor of that town because it's a conflicted area. There are rebel forces that are disrupting uh, and killing people uh, right and left in that part of the uh, part of the country. And um, David was just saying, hey, what are we, what is going to be done to try to protect uh, the city? You know, and he said, uh, the mayor, David went on to say to the mayor, you know, we're really thinking about maybe we need to relocate. And the mayor said to him, "You cannot leave. That's amazing. Because what you're bringing to this community is so helpful. The leaders that you're raising up, and the, the, the ethical bank employees, the ethical business people that you are raising up, that university and that counseling center and that those elementary schools that you're running, uh, is having such an incredible positive impact." Uh, For good, bringing God's shalom into uh, our uh, community—that you you can't leave. We're done for. He basically said, "If you leave now, um, I think maybe Mayor Blanchiardi might know about our (laughs) church, but I don't know whether he would say that about us." Never close your doors. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So uh, I hope that we, as a church, and maybe we as Christians on this island, hopefully, would have that same sort of reputation of being agents of shalom and health and healing and transformation and hope and encouragement um, because of the way that we're living in the world. Uh, that our mayor would say we absolutely need um, what you what you're bringing. Um, so i I've seen, I think I've learned more about shalom from my sisters and brothers. In many parts of the world. They've been some of my best teachers. So, so
1: what, what, is, what has been like that thing, though, from those students, those graduates, into the community? Because obviously, they're not just like going, working at a bank to create a Bible study. They're not just, you know, it's not like we need more of your Bible studies. You know, there's something that this mayor is talking about, um, about the quality of person, I guess, yeah?
0: yeah integrity, uh, a lack of corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that the uh, Congo Initiative is involved in is um, dis- helping land disputes uh, get settled. You know, they're mapping the area using drones and uh, GPS mapping, and they're helping communities settle their differences. Mm. Um, so it has, it's a very practical application of their Christian commitment um, that they believe that that Jesus is has work is working transformationally in their own lives, so that they can. Uh, act ethically with integrity uh, fairly um, compassionately uh, in the community that they're that they're living so and the community is feeling that impact um, and maybe people who are feeling that impact for good may be curious about what's this all about I mean why are you why are you so different <laughs> Yeah why are you so different what is it? Um, and I think that's true in our own uh, setting that uh, there is a significant lack of trust, I think, between many uh, people outside the church and people in in the church. Mm. And somehow we have to work on building trust with uh, our the people in our community before they're ever going to listen to us talk to about what we think about great questions of who God is and who Jesus is. But So it has a lot to do with the way that we are living our lives, going about our work, interacting with our neighbors, how we're how we are uh, discussing things on social media. There you go. Um, You know, are we any different than the cacophony of uh, arguments that are just filling the, you know, Instagram posts and Facebook? Um, How are we, are we any different? the, The mayor of Benny said, you guys are different, and you're doing something that's bringing health to our, and hope to our community so um, we can't imagine actually going forward without you. So don't leave. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's tremendous, um, and that that
1: there would be you know so well known by the character of their lives, you know that their light, you know again I'm trying to think of, I'm thinking of, you know the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says let your light shine before men, right, you know, and all that, and, and um, so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, you you. you I mean, that's what I think Jesus had in mind. I, I just love this story because they're indispensable. Isn't it great for, like, for Christians to be someplace that the, those who are around them feel like they're indispensable to the cohesiveness of their culture, of their town, of their city, you know, of their businesses, or or whatever. They're, they're, that's It's a powerful, um, powerful thing. You know, these guys walk as... as uh, um, peacemakers in a lot of different ways. You know, a couple of years ago, I did two sermons on um, being people of peace in the age of rage. Um, And, you know, we think we live in an age of rage. I mean, those guys in the Congo, people aren't just angry. They're shooting, killing, pillaging, you know. Um, Yet, they still maintain this shalomic manner mindset how do they not lose it I mean how do they not just like get angry back have they ever talked to you about that and just
0: you know meet rage with rage well I'm sure that they wrestle with um, their emotions and their feelings um, that they do get angry and um, but I, I do think it's um, it, it's a it's it, it, it's in my, it's a case in my life, and it's in a, probably in theirs as well. It's a function of how deeply they're connected to Jesus. Yeah. You know, are they uh, experiencing His shalom themselves? When you're experiencing the shalom of God, and you're experiencing the healing and transformation of God in your own life, then a lot of these other things are not as tempting or as powerful. Or they still have to be disciplined because we can still get triggered. In, you know, if we're not careful about what we're exposing ourselves to, um, but it really starts with, am I a person who experiences shalom, peace in my own life with, in my own relationship with God? Am I being filled up by the spirit of God? Um, cause that's the only way I can actually be an agent of, of transformation and, and hope, um,
1: yeah, it's that surrender to the, the uh, spirit of peace, to the prince of peace, and to become like him. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, well, if we can kind of push the envelope a little further, you know, that, you know, you, you briefly alluded to it, but we do see a lot of polarization and rage going on in our community. Um, and I can understand some of the anger. There are, there are anger-causing things all over the place. There really are you know, injustice and all kinds of stupidity or whatever you want to call it going on all over the place. And, um, you know, some of the social ways to contend with it, of course, is to just rant on Twitter about it or, or put some post up or a little Instagram video or TikTok or something like that, you know. And, you know, ranting seems to be a lot of solutions to, to want to think they can get the world back in line, you know. Um, and, you know, Also, the, you know, we'll have peace when, you know, the the assumption sometimes I feel like I hear is we'll have peace when, you know, our guy is in in office in the White House, in Congress, in the Supreme Court. That's when we'll have peace, you know, and and so it's these ideological answers that are trying to bring, you know, some version of peace in the world. And and I understand why non-Christians were going to resort to those measures, because what else do they have to, uh, you know, hope for besides their own wit and wisdom and their own tools, you know. But I guess what breaks my heart a bit is is to see Christians join in on, you know, the the rage parade. Um, That breaks my heart, you know. And um, I'm not sure always, even as a pastor after all these years, how to guide people beyond that you know um, and it's it's very very challenging um, to talk about things like sometimes in, in Bible studies you know how to love our enemies I've uh, about 38 years I'm in the ministry and I have yet to have one person ask me can you teach us how to love our enemies better never been asked mm-hmm. I don't know maybe for you to have that's great you know I would love to hear a story if they did you know um, but we as the people of peace of the prince of peace um, sometimes contribute more to the to the shredding of shalom you know basically polarization is to shred you know something that's meant to be together and um and I'm really hoping through these studies and just through you know watching the life of jesus uh, you know somehow we figure a new way through this um and, and you know, maybe maybe not this podcast, but our next podcast we talk about discipleship and, and other podcasts beyond it where we talk about the practices, you know, the spiritual disciplines that we really need to engage because you know being people of peace is not automatic or inevitable just because we know Jesus. It's intentional. You know, it's 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 not automatic or inevitable because I go to church every week, I tithe, I show up at Sunday school, you know, whatever. It's it's. As you alluded to before, it's got to be this openness towards the Holy Spirit's work in us to transform us and, and to take that raging anger, you know, and make it into something that's um, uh, peacemaking. All right. Uh, anything else you want to add to
0: that? Well, a couple of things I thought about, and I, sure. The The uh, Tim Keller's quote is that um, the gospel is not from the right or from the left. It's from a different place. It's from above. So uh, I think that when I understand that my fundamental citizenship or allegiance or alliance is in the kingdom of God, um, that I am a child of uh, a king, um, and, and it's the it's, it's the values and the the way that the kingdom of God is designed to operate is what be should be shaping, uh, then, I, then I'm shaping who I am and how I interact. There might be hope for me to be a person who can bring divergent opinions together and people can uh, learn to – we can learn to listen to each other. I, I think there, we all should be asking way more qu- questions. We should be a lot more curious than we are to really understand another person's perspective about why they are convinced that this is what is right hmm. as opposed to just immediately dismissing and lecturing um other people about uh, why their position is wrong mm, mm. so somehow we have to uh, get back to a place where we can actually uh, be curious about each other and listen and learn and understand and and be uh, re- in respect uh, one another disagree I mean you're the uh, the, hmm. the trained counselor so hmm. you've been in lots of situations where you're trying to help reconciliation happened the times that I have done that with couples or uh, teams or the first thing is that trying to get them to deal with the fact that they don't really understand each other. And that feeling of you don't understand me Mm -hmm. is the engine of that's where the fury is. Yeah. And uh, if I can help people understand each other, and sometimes what I've done in a counseling situation is ask this person the husband to take the wife's position, advocate her what her experiences tell her what What would you say if you were her? Mm. And she listens, and then she says, "Yeah, that's right." But there's also this, mm. and then the roles are reversed. So they're beginning to move from misunderstanding to actually proving that what they understand about each other. But then they can decide where do we agree and disagree once we've sort of turned the heat down, and um, And then there's probably areas of agreement, but there's also areas of disagreement. And can we be in a relationship with each other if we disagree uh, with each other, to have different convictions about things? Mm. Um, So I think that to me is an example of the work of peacemaking, um, of really helping people connect and communicate with each other.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, scientifically, that really backs it up because like when they talk about how to bring people towards change, they said people won't move towards change until they feel this from you. You know, they, they feel heard, they feel understood, and they feel validated. Now, validated doesn't mean I agree with you. It just means like, I can see why you hold that point of view, you know. But unless they feel heard, understood, and validated, they're, they're just not open to change. And, and those three words together is an expression like you almost used just now. It, it means you get me. You get me, and until I know you get me, I'm not open to. You can be a right as rain, but I'm just—I'm not going to be open to it because you don't get me, you know. And and so that's excellent the way you know counsel couples like that. But um,
0: uh, so I, I think that if um, um, if wanting to find a way of Jesus of really uh, engaging um, our challenges in our communities and nation. Um, can we put up more energy into that sort of cultivating of um, of helping people understand each other and trust building and listening? I mean, you've talked a lot about um, that listening, the role of listening is so important in really experiencing love, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why Why do you think is listening is so important?
1: Well, I mean, as uh, Dr. Augsburger from Fuller Seminary said, you know, uh, feeling heard is so akin to feeling loved, that people can't really tell the difference between the two.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it's like, well, I mean, even think about it, if you just say it out loud, who has ever said, you know, I feel so loved uh, by my friend. They never listen to me, but I feel so loved by them. I mean, we just automatically know when you say those things out there in a bald-faced way, those two things can't go together. It's impossible. There's something about the human condition that needs to be heard. We're meant to be heard. You know, um, I, it's definitely in our neurology and our in our in our DNA uh, to feel to feel heard, and otherwise we feel dismissed. You know, it's hard it's hard to feel loved if you're not like if you're just dismissing my thoughts, my presence, you know, my ideas or whatever.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's 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 about being really seen. Being seen—that's a good way to summarize that. Uh, one of the my favorite TED Truly talks did. is. Um, uh, is called the danger of the single story. Mm. A Nigerian. Sure about woman. that. Um, it, she talks about the story when she when she came to the U.S. To, from Nigeria to uh, study as a student, and um, her roommate, probably well-meaning, um, asked her to uh, if she would play some of her what she called tribal music for her, and so she got her device out and played Mariah Carey and a bunch of other like pop artists, you know, that, that, that I was already familiar with. Um, so that's kind of an innocent thing, but sh- uh, the, 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 her roommate had sort of a single story for a Nigerian. And uh, the great danger is for us to have single stories about other people, other groups of people, single stories about other nations, um, at, as rather than understanding the complexity of people, groups, Nations, Mm. there's you can't have a single story, and and I can prove that pretty easily. Like if someone has a single story about me, I am like bothered. Yeah, you know, so it's not complicated. If I feel like I've been reduced. Yeah, exactly. It's reductionistic, and nobody feels better. Right. So let's not do that to each other. Let's not do that to the people that we disagree with. Mm. That I know, I, I sort of can. Wrap things up, and uh, I know what they're all about, and I haven't even really talked to them. I don't understand. I don't understand the context. I understand the history. I don't know what they've been through, and it, it's really, really the willingness to to get proximate to people, mm. to get close to people, to really have an understanding of their story. Um, that's really important in the process of of peacemaking. So
1: that's really uh, that's really really crucial. Um, to guard our hearts against reductionism we, we do summarize people so quickly uh, because we want to identify them by their ideological stance you know oh you're a liberal you're a progressive you're a conservative you're a trumper you know and and that explains everything about you now i've got you figured out and this happened real quick a uh, quick story when my, when my son was in high school and uh, there, his, his teacher was a Christian, you know, heard that, that we were planting a new church, and he says, oh, really? You know, what, what kind of church is it? And my son was trying to explain. He says, "Was well, your dad a, a conservative or a liberal? He says, well, what do you mean? Because we never taught our kids to think in these terms. And um, uh, he says, well, what does your dad think about women in ministry? He says, in leadership. He says, oh, he has women in leadership. Oh, okay, he's a liberal. And that was it. He didn't even talk to me. He just talked to my son, answered one question, and I was figured out. My entire theology... And where I stood, is figured out, you know. And and yeah, that uh, that didn't do it. So as we kind of move towards, you know, maybe winding down here a little bit and landing this plane, you love Micah six eight. Um, could you could you? Uh, I'm trying to remember it by hand, but can you can you recite it to us? Am I putting you on the
0: spot? He has told you, old man. Not old man. Okay. But old man. Did you say old man or old man? Oh man. Old oh, man. What is good and what the Lord requires of you? To love mercy, to do justice, and to walk humbly with your God. And, and we like to love mercy and do
1: justice, but that walk humbly piece is so crucial. Because without humility and graciousness infusing our efforts at justice, we can easily move towards vilifying those who are, in our view, the sources of injustice. And, and this, is, this is what's happening on our culture today. And I'm going to be dead honest. This is what I see in the Christian culture today. A lot of vilifying and demonizing um, folks. And, 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 and we see people like in the, you know, talk about cancel culture and stuff like that. We, know we see people losing their jobs, their funding, their reputation, simply for saying things that don't align with, uh, align with somebody else's view. And it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, uh, Carrie Newhoff said, if you echo the culture, you get more of the culture, not more of the kingdom. If you echo the culture, you get more of the culture, not more of the kingdom, you know. So um, Micah 8 is great for me because because that walk humbly piece keeps our desires for, for God's justice to show up in the world and our efforts to do that, our, our ways of speaking about it, it. It keeps us from descending into these uglier forms you know, uh, of, of the social justice warrior types. And I don't mean to stereotype people there, but, you know, we, we don't have to shame. We don't have to call out. We don't have to silence. We don't have to cancel people in our pursuit of God's best in the world. And, and so I just kind of uh, want us to kind of think about that as we move out here. And, and you can have the last comments, Tim, um, that, you know, we as Christians who, who love and follow and are being transformed by and forged into the image of the Prince of Peace have to take a long loving look at the reality of our soul's condition and ask ourselves you know do i really echo the culture you know am i just giving out more of the culture or more of the kingdom you know tim why don't you have the the last word there or story or
0: whatever you want to finish with well i think it's it's striking me today that um the phrase is to walk humbly with God, not run humbly with God, mm. which makes me think about things I've been thinking about recently about uh, ruthlessly eliminating hurry. Um, God walks, you know, and we have to sort of slow down and match His pace. I love that. I love that imagery right there. Yeah, it's like He He wants to walk with us, and we need to slow down and walk with Him. Set aside the time to really commune with Him. Um and uh you know, walk humbly with God. and When I think of Jesus, in humility he emptied himself and became a human being. Um, a servant. We have a servant God who serves came to serve us. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um And I think I best learn uh, the servant heart of God when I uh, walk with God and not try to fit him in into my running schedule, but when I walk um, with him. And I've been, uh, my verse that I've spent most of my life thinking about is Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. And the word humility does show up in that passage. And as Keller would say, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. But it's not just that. It is taking the energy that I would just burn on myself Mm. and invest it in the life of someone else Mm. for their blessing and encouragement and being built up. That's what it means to be humble. It's recognizing that I'm not the center of the universe. Um, The world does not revolve around me. Uh, But as I understand that I have been served by the God who created the universe and I'm being served by him, stunning, amazing, and that I am called to be a servant. And one of the ways that I serve others is to, in humility, consider others as better than myself, as surpassing me, that I look not only to my own interests, but to the interests of others. And to be an agent of shalom in our world, I have to cultivate the capacity to look not only to my own interests, but to the interests of other persons, people, groups, communities, nations, um, and political tribes. And political tribes, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Our communities need to learn, I think, to talk to each other mm. again. Mm. Amen. And may it start with us as the
1: people of God. Well, that's a good word to end on. Um, I really appreciate that, and thank you, everybody, for listening. You know, really appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to dive a little deeper into the essentials of the Gospel of Mark. And as we close, I want you to remember the words of Christ, his words at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, where he said, the wise person is the one who puts his words into practice. So... Be wise, my friends, and we'll see you next time on A Deeper Dive. God bless.